Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we are talking about The Last of the Queen's Trilogy by E.K. Johnston, ending with Queen's Hope. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and with me as always are Chad J. Schonk and Ryan Schweck. Over to you first, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. In addition, uh, over the course of our conversation, we may spoil anything else Star Wars. So you have been warned. Uh, Ryan, hit me. Well, May 4th has come and gone. Uh, Yeah, May the 4th. I was thinking about when did May the 4th become a thing? It's recent. In the last decade, Mm -hmm. Max. Yeah. 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 And I was thinking that, like, it really does put Lucasfilm, Star Wars, Disney, whoever, in kind of a weird position because I feel like they're forced to do announcements and do things when they've got celebration in three weeks. Yeah. And so it's always like a weird, like, you're expecting all these big things and they're clearly holding them back. It does feel like this was kind of thrust upon them. Yeah. Someone someone figured out the pun like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it grew and it grew and now they have to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause your average fan, like I think they're much more familiar with May the 4th versus celebration and yeah. Or the 25th even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they, you know, they put some stuff out for May the 4th. We got the new Obi-Wan trailer. Yeah. Which looks real good. Purge um, troopers. Yeah. There's, Quite a bit of. Did you not watch it, Beth? Not it's yet. It's got Purge Troopers. It does have Purge Troopers. There's so much Fallen Order in the trailer. It is very. Oh, that's exciting. Well, yeah. and speaking of that, they, uh, Ewan McGregor was on Jimmy Kimmel the night of May the 4th. And part of what he did was reveal the Black Series Obi Wan figure from the show. Oh, sweet. And very quickly people noticed that when they showed it, there's a hole in the packaging where they had taken off one of the accessories so you couldn't see it. And Star Wars fans, being what Star Wars fans do, noticed that the hole in the packaging matches the hole for Cal Kestis. And so he's coming with a BD droid. So (laughs) apparently a BD droid will be on the show. Yeah, or on the show. So basically, they're just going to remake Fallen Order with Obi-Wan? Maybe so. Maybe Cal's going to show up. I, I'm kind of okay with that. And BD-1 uh, kind of became my second favorite droid after playing that uh, game. Yeah, I, well, I've got mine that came with Cal. So, yeah, that's cool, though. Droid's a big old pain in the butt to get to fit on his back, though. I hate it. Yeah, I have mine standing next to him. <laughs> I like him looking over the shoulder, but yeah. the way they show you to snap it in is not as easy as they make it seem. Other Obi-Wan stuff, they've confirmed that Flea will be on the Obi-Wan show, which is, uh, you know, an odd. I'm sure it'll be like a two-second alien. We won't even recognize him. As will, and I didn't know Camille Nanjiani was on the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. No, oh, that yeah, because you know who everybody thinks? That's the one everybody thinks playing Kit Fisto. Uh, you mean Kitster. Kiss, sorry, not Kipiso. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was like, wait, what? Oh, that would. 
That would be even crazier. But, Kidster, <laughs> just to know for the fans, we're recording this on a Saturday night. You may notice a slight difference. <laughs> I, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I do believe Ryan's been drinking. <laughs> yeah, so Kidster. He might be playing Kidster. Other Obi-Wan news, Natalie Holt, who is the composer for Obi-Wan, uh, did an interview and has... What I think is kind of interesting, for the first time, there's going to be a Stormtrooper theme song. So she like went through that, like, you know, we always saw the Imperial March for Stormtroopers, and now they're going to have their own song. Their own theme. Yeah, like, I, I've i liked everything I've seen that she said so far. Apparently she works some with Williams. Yeah, we know Williams is doing the theme for Obi-Wan, um, but she'll do the rest. So that should be neat. I, I love the Star Wars composers. So I think they've all done a really good job over the years. Mm-hmm. All the new ones. And I like that, you know, Disney hasn't, you know, pre post takeover. They've still kept that as a focus. Yeah. And made sure that that's like a main part of star Wars. Last bit of possible. Obi one news. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Ian McDermott in an interview heavily hinted that he has done something for star Wars. Um, and they wouldn't like, it was, it's so strange how he said it, Uh, but basically they were like asking him about the filming for Andor and Obi-Wan. And he was just like, Oh, that was a a real busy time in my life and all this stuff. So interesting, but made it seem like, I don't know if he filmed, like it might be just a voice, you know, we might get the hologram getting away from Obi-Wan, which was the majority of the news. Charles Soule, you know, one of our favorite writes the comic system, the books, got himself a promotion. He is now a creative consultant for Lucasfilm. Wow. So they're moving him up, I guess, to a more centralized role. And I think he's totally earned it. Yeah. Last bit of May 4th stuff. So they Hasbro had one of their panels um, for the Hasbro Pulse, kind of what's coming up. And they released the new Vader helmet. It looks real good. You know, it's it's interesting because the finish on it is different than other finishes and helmets that they have put out previously and said that it shows specific. It's almost like a matte rather than the reflective Vader helmet. Right. Um, it does have the red lenses. Um, it's a really cool helmet. Um, and then as far as toys, they revealed the indoor Leia they revealed the security droid. They have a, let's see, what was the other main one? Well, I guess they did the figure and Dan and the modal nodes. So the way they're going to do this, and I like how they're doing this. They had announced in a, uh, they do the pipelines where they just say, hey, this is going to come. And so we knew they were doing them, but nobody knew how they were going to do the whole band. And so the way they can do it is there's a single figure of figure and Dan and he comes with the uh, clue horn, which yeah. was really annoying during the panel. Cause they kept calling it a flute and never called it the right thing. Like they had all these words for other stuff. They clearly done research, but kept calling it a flute and they did not say jizz one time, but it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. So you can buy figure and Dan and then they've got a deluxe figure that's the same figure, but comes with the other three instruments. And so you can theoretically buy one deluxe figure and three of the figure and Dan figures and make the whole 
modal nodes, which is a good way to do it. Now, it will end up costing around 125 bucks to do it if you want all four members. But I got figuring Dan, like I want one to put on my Java Bounty Hunters shelf. Uh, pipeline reveals, they're going to do HK87, which was the HK droid from Mandalorian. And then they also teased they're going to do Luke from the end of season two, which I'm assuming is just going to be a repackage of Return of the Jedi Luke. I can't yeah, imagine I mean, them changing that, it very much. I've got that different. figure already. Didn't they also show off the um, Obi-Wan force effects? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The elite and, lightsaber. Yeah. And they've updated the elite lightsabers. Um, it's got some different, um, modes now i guess if you want to say like where now it's got the i think they called it like continuous clash um where it'll there's a button it's kind of cool they did it there's a new button on the hilts that you can hold down and so it'll make the clash sound and it will light up a certain part of the saber so those are really nice and then our last bit of news which is a little fake hollow net that we're not going to talk about too much here because we're going to talk about it in a future episode. But multiple sources are reporting that, you know, we've known that the Disney shows are moving towards a crossover. So Mandalorian, Ahsoka, everything. And it's now being reported that it will be some take on Air to the Empire, that they are going to. I guess change the story enough to make it fit and bring in some of the stuff. And that's what it'll be. But that's all we got. What's going on in the comics? Crimson rain. Number four of five. We're almost done with crimson rain already. This issue focuses on the Knights of Ren as they break into Vader's castle on Kira's request. Um, I'm sure nothing's going to go wrong there, right? Breaking into Fortress Vader seems like a cakewalk. Uh, Only one issue to go to learn about the tragedy that the archivist has been telling us about. So we'll see how it ends. Star Wars 22 by Sul and Rosanis. Uh, in this issue, we covered the Battle of Penisa, which is a large-scale conflict between the bulk of the Rebel fleet and a single Star Destroyer led by Commander Zara. Uh, also, more on the mission to save Shara Bay. So, more of those kind of ongoing storylines that they've been doing in the Star Wars main Star Wars book. And then we have a new series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, number one of five, by Christopher Cantwell and Ariano Anadito. This is a tie-in with the show. And it features old Obi-Wan reflecting on his life before, uh, starting in this issue with a story about him as a youngling. It seems like every installment will be like this. Old Obi-Wan remembering young Obi-Wan. But it's only a limited series, so I'm, I'm guessing it's meant to just go along with the series a little bit. But that's it. That's all that's come out. It's been pretty slow. It's been pretty slow since High Republic went, went away. Don't I'm, I'm down two books without High Republic books. So, For one of the very few times in her life, Padme Amidala had no idea what to do. She kept secrets all the time, but this one was different. Usually, the girls she shared her secrets with also helped her keep them. They weren't just her confidants. They held her web of secrets together. And this time, she was alone. Here we are with the third and final volume of E.K. Johnson's trilogy about the life and times of Padme Nabeer, otherwise known as The Handmaiden's Tale. It is a story of forbidden love, kind of, and of growing up and apart from your friends as life takes you in different directions. 
We find the former queen and current senator from Naboo in the wake of the Battle of Geonosis and on the eve of her secret marriage to Jedi Padawan Anakin Skywalker. And secret it must be, because if their relationship ever became public, it would bring unholy hell down on Anakin, because getting married clearly counts as attachment. But Padme hates that she must keep the secret from the people she trusts the most in the galaxy, namely her handmaidens, who have been with her since her early days as queen. As Yoda would say, begun the Clone War has, and after their wedding by the lake, Anakin and Padme split up. Well, not split up, split up, but they go their separate ways. No, that sounds bad, too. Uh, They don't break up, unfortunate for Padme in the long run. Uh, But Anakin runs off to fight a war, and Padme must go back to Coruscant and her duties in the Senate. So no honeymoon on the luxurious Halcyon for them, I guess. When Padme returns to the capital, she's immediately recruited by Bail Organa to go on a secret mission to meet a mysterious contact. So secret, in fact, that no one can know she is on it, which is why Bail picked her. He needs someone capable of appearing in two places at once. Padme recalls her most loyal and badass handmaiden, Sabe, who was off with Tanra trying to be the Tatooine version of Abraham Lincoln, to Coruscant to impersonate Amidala in all walks of life, including speaking for her in the Senate, which she's never done, while the real Padme goes off on her mission with Captain Typho. A mission I'm not 100% sure I understand, (laughs) but she does end up meeting a Nemoidian who totally hates what the Trade Federation has become and basically offers to become a traitor to his race and help the Republic against the Separatists or... It was something like that. That stuff didn't interest me that much, but it was something like that. Sabe, uh, with the help of the remaining handmaidens, including a couple of new recruits, goes about being Amidala and finds out she doesn't like it very much. Turns out, despite her love of a politician, and I do mean love, more on that later, uh, she hates politics, hates the war, and realizes she wants nothing to do with either. And to check in with the other former handmaidens real quick, uh, Sashe is still a representative in the Naboo Senate and is having her own problems. Yane lives with her, looking after a group of orphans misplaced after a landslide. Rabe is a famous musician, while Erte is a successful artist. Corday and Verse are doing nothing because they're dead. Stupid Sam Wessel. In probably the creepiest passage of the novel, Anakin sneaks into Padme's bedroom to get some quality time with his wife, only to find Sabe and letting the whole Tuka cat out of the bag as far as he and Padme's relationship. Sabe doesn't really like Anakin very much, which makes her way smarter than her boss, and is hurt that Padme, who is also her best friend, has kept such a secret from her. She's also hurt because she's totally in love with Padme and has secretly hoped that she would pick her over any stupid boy. There's adventure. There's politics. There's too much going on in this book for me to recap at all. Because this book is all about character, and on that axis it mostly works, but the machinations of the fl- plot felt, honestly to me, a little confusing. But we'll talk about that. Oh, and someone once again says shit in a Star Wars, and I'm not okay with it. It just feels weird. Padme eventually returns home with the news of the Nemoidian ally and resumes her role as senator. At the end, Sabe reveals to Padme that she has had enough of politics and that she wants to be released from the senator's service for good. After a very emotional scene, Padme accepts her friend's choice and they have one last sleepover to say goodbye. Sabe returns to Tatooine to keep fighting the slave trade, her own personal war, no longer living in her queen's shadow. Want to know what happens next? Read Brotherhood by Mike Chen, coming in May. I liked a lot about this book, but I'm going to start off with a complaint. I still have no idea why Padme loves Anakin. Do you? You know, for the first time in this one, and that's one of the notes I had 
that I was actually positive about this book is there's a scene I, towards the end when she's talking to Sabe and it, it almost comes off and she talks about how every time they've been together, it's been short and it's been exciting and all this stuff. And it's basically like a vacation romance, you know, like you meet these people who are like in a different place and an exciting time and they meet somebody and fall in love. And you know, like your friend comes back and like, I met this girl in Mexico and we're going to get married. And like it, and so they had that relationship. I think for the first time I ever said where it's like, she likes the hero part of him. She likes the decisive, like, fighting to do what's right no matter what the cost which is a big part they've made of Padme's character she likes the Tuscan killing <laughs> well but she even likes kind of not justifies it but almost like gets it um yeah. and one of the things that it made me wonder and I'd love to see like a old Elseworlds or whatever they want to call it story like what if Palpatine lost if Anakin had been like you know what you're right he's a Sith Lord they defeat Palpatine and they move on. Do Anakin and Padme stay together? It's a good point. Yeah. Because I mean, they were, you know, you see her in Clone Wars and they talk, you know, a lot of this book too is about how their relationship is going to be set up where they say, we're going to keep the Jedi stuff and the Senator stuff completely separate. And we're only going to have our time for us when we can kind of sneak those moments. Well, it's, it's covert and exciting. Right, and, and exactly. she's still, I mean, she's still young. She doesn't have that much experience with romance. And so this is, this is so exciting for her because it's, it's new and it's secret. And mm-hmm. well, plus it was born out of trauma. It was born yeah. like, I mean, it was born out of, we're about to die. She might is, as well get a kiss. You know, might as well, might as well, you know, so your emotions are running high. I get that. I mean, you're basically saying, no offense, Beth, you're basically saying they had a Vegas wedding. Yeah, I went to Vegas on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You did. Um, that's reasonable, I think. I mean, I, I was that's my biggest problem with the book, I think, is that um, in the biggest problem is my expectations, you know, and that's entirely my fault. But I wanted more about their relationship and less about the handmaidens. But I should have thought about the fact that the series is really about the handmaidens. Mm-hmm. The series isn't about isn't even really about Padme so much as it's about the handmaidens and how they reflect on her. They're all on Madala. Their relationship is so brief, even though they're, you know, married long enough for her to get knocked up and have ba- have two babies. I mean, that don't take long. Exactly. They're they're not together for hardly any of this relationship. It goes from he's a creepy stalker force feeding me fruit to <laughs> we're in love and married and now I'm going to die because I'm so sad that you're evil. They have no time together. It still doesn't feel like enough to me, but Again, you're right. This isn't this isn't a Padme story. No, you're winning me over, though. I think I think uh, you, this is the best, in my opinion, the best uh, angle I've heard on their relationship is that it's not necessarily true love. And they had they had to get married. They don't have time together. Like this yeah. injury gives them the time, and so they feel like we have to do it. Right. And I think, given time, Padme turns against it. Not turns against it, but I think Padme realizes like. Oops. Yeah. He's, he's got some other stuff going on that I'm not going to, he's a fixer upper and I'm not going to be able to fix it. <laughs> See, now I've got, there's a song in frozen 
called Fixer Upper that's not stuck uh-huh. in my head. Thank you very much. I hear it a lot. I hear it enough as it is with two little girls. That makes sense to me. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting in this book, and we'll go ahead and get out of the way. What did you make of the interstitials with the various women around the galaxy? Because this book starts off with an inner monologue of Shmi Skywalker. But when she dreamed, she heard a song and she felt less alone. The song promised her something that, for a time at least, would be only hers. There would be no ownership, no pressured obligation, only love and connection and the sense of a home. The girl didn't feel manipulated, even though the power that sang to her was beyond her perception. The girl knew that nothing was permanent. Even the scars on her back could be properly healed if anyone cared enough about her to do it. She was being offered a chance for joy, a chance to belong to someone because she chose to, not because she was stolen. A chance to have someone who would look up at her and feel love, something worth fighting for. Shmi Skywalker held out her hands to the stars and said, Yes. Which I appreciate. I kind of made me realize I want more about Shmi. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I actually wouldn't mind a Shmi book, but um, okay. So here's my thing about Baru White Sun, maker of cheese, breaker of chains. Yeah. While this is a better story for her, for her background and a life than we got in from a certain point of view. This set her up to have a much, much deeper relationship with Shmi than I would have expected from the two seconds of Baru in the prequels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I get Owen doesn't want her talking about Anakin and by extension, probably Padme to Luke. But if I had saved Luke's grandmother from slavery <laughs> and proceeded to then go on and free all kinds of slaves and lead them to better lives, I would probably tell my nephew about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a little... Does it match up with the Baru from the movies? Others took over the technical aspects of freeing enslaved people on Tatooine. But it was the girl who fed them when they were no longer bound. It was the girl who comforted them if tragedy struck. Most of the newly freed beings left Tatooine, and the girl could not blame them. It wasn't her hands that liberated them, and they might never know her name, but it was her kindness that sent them on their way. Baru Whitesun knew her work would never be done, but she hoped that it would be enough. Like I stopped freeing slaves and went to be seventies mom. Is it is it overcorrecting? Well, I wonder if they're gonna tie it in. Like Baru's kind of running a underground railroad, more or less, for slaves. So does yeah. that give her the skills to hide Luke? Like, are they going to like kind of tie that in that she's been hiding people and been protecting them? And you're saying Baru is the Tatooine Harriet Tubman. I maybe (laughs) with a chip scanner, (laughs) but she helps take the chips out and sends them off world. She doesn't actually hide anybody. She just sets them free. She puts them on Sabe's ship and then they're off to somewhere in the Chalmel sector. I can't remember the name of that planet. I didn't understand why Padme got one. Why did Padme get an interstitial? We got three books about her. Yeah, that felt really <laughs> off. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, why, why are you already telling us her story? Why are we all of a sudden in her head for a minute? We've been in her head all, the whole time. That part felt a little weird, but we learned about who we learned about Shmi, um, Baru. Oh, Brea and Brea at the end. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather had a, a Mon Mothma interstitial than a Padme. Yeah. That seems like an odd omission. Yeah. There's so few women in the galaxy, damn it. <laughs> There's only so many you can do. There's like five women in the whole galaxy. But I guess all of the ones they covered in this are part of the story. Part of her story in a way, in a way that maybe Mon Mothma isn't, right? Like starting with Shmi being Anakin's mom and then Baru and then Brea at the end being the woman who ultimately cares for her children. You know, there's a there's a through line there with those characters with the with those characters that Mon Mothma maybe didn't quite I guess that's that's fair because Sabe makes a point of noting in the Senate at one point that Mon Mothma was an ally, but not a friend. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That was more of an EU um, vision of Mon Mothma. We even talked about that in either Dark Force Rising or the Empire. We talked about how Mon Mothma was a lot colder in those books. Um, and, And Sabe definitely seems to think she is that. We'll find out on Andor, I guess, what she's really like. That'll be our best best bet on what she's really like. Am I the only one that was a little confused by the plot? Um, so the Nemoidian guy shows up and is like, hey, I want to help you. And she just goes, all right, let me go talk to Bale. I'm going to trust you. Hey, Bale, there's these guys and we should totally trust them. Even though they tried to enslave my planet and they tortured this little girl. Well, I think that's real purposeful, though. Like, I think she's trying to create kind of a comparison between Padme and Anakin and how different they really are. That right. she'll let it go. That for the greater good, she will put aside her feelings and her personal stuff. And that's kind of who Padme is. Yeah, Anakin doesn't forgive her well. <laughs> or at all. At all. At all. Um, so I, I just, I don't know. I got, I, I enjoyed it. I just, I just got lost a little bit in the middle because it was like the machinations of getting to the Nemoidian. And then you also had, uh, what's her name? In the, in the Naboo Senate and her storyline that was kind of going on. And then you were following Sabe. And I guess I just got a little lost in the middle. Maybe that's because I was listening to the audiobook. I don't know. Well, the um, the stuff with Padme and Typho on the Wookiee ship, that that seemed extended for, I was like, oh, what are these Wookiees up to? Oh, nothing. They're just Wookiees that we talked about for a really long time for no reason. Sounds like they fly in style, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like a nice ship because they really described it in a lot of detail. A lot of detail. I a mean, lot I, of nice tables. <laughs> well, I message you guys about this. Like, A.K. Johnson is to dresses and clothes as George R.R. R. Martin is to food. Mm-hmm. Like, every time there's a chance to describe some kind of luxury item or clothes or whatever, she dives in. Um, there's so much discussion. And I, I understand the clothes are an important part of Amidala. Um, and and the handmaidens and all that stuff, I get that. But there was a there was a, like I said there was a Martin level of pornographic detail. Before I forget, while we're talking about clothes, this is a direct tie-in. I don't know how much you guys know about makeup. Less than you. Contouring <laughs> does not do that much. When they were doing the full Amadala makeup, yes, you could disguise Kira Knightley and Rose Byrne and make people think it's Natalie Portman. But for just walking around in the Senate, contouring. Is not going to make somebody look like Natalie Portman, who clearly isn't, and has been described as spending a lot of time on tattooing, getting sunburned and windburned. That's not how makeup works. And you are a former professional. 
I did like the sheave. It took him all of like five seconds to be like, <laughs> yeah, that's not her. Yeah. <laughs> it does strain credulity a little bit that she's going to be able to get away with that. Um, that they're going to be able to get away with this with uh, with just some makeup. Even, even I don't know much about contouring, but even I was like, really? I don't think so. Unless she's wearing drag queen makeup, it doesn't work like that. It's yeah. space makeup. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. That's how it works. Uh, Hyperspace and makeup in Star Wars. Two things <laughs> no one will we, ever understand. We will never know about. Why does Johnson insist on like putting in real swear words? She did this before, didn't she? <sighs> yes. This was in the second one, too. I, I, I know in Solo, Lando almost says it. There's that moment where right before the Falcon does the Kessel Run where Lando goes, oh, sh- and it cuts away. But uh, I don't know. I, I found it very off-putting. Uh, it took me out of the book immediately. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to it, so it was even more like in my face. I was like, that's not Star Wars. It doesn't feel like, doesn't feel like Star Wars. So one thing I didn't think about until this book because it comes up several times, is how many things are easy and frightening. And nobody really points out when the clones show up. There's never a point where anyone goes, hey, do we want to question where these clones came from? Are we, are we just, we're just going to take charge of these guys and send them to do our bidding? There's, there's never a point where anyone says anything logical about it and they don't think about it. And I kind of like the reasoning that this book gives it a little bit as in it was just easy. No one questioned it because they were just there and they were just taking orders and they were just immediately jumping into action. Why, why question it? Even though it's obviously the plan of an evil space wizard. <laughs> I think they get put in a kind of painted in a corner there, right? Like yeah. that's part of the genius of the big plan is you can question the clone army and you can be worried about it. But if you don't use them, the separatist droids are about to roll on up over everything. And they did have in this one, wait, I hope it's this one that they, I think they talked about that kind of the plan was the clones were going to help train somebody, but there just wasn't time. Like, yeah, the plan is we're going to use these clones and train our own army, but the clones are always off fighting here and there, and so we can't do that. Yeah, the war breaks out super fast. Yeah. It escalates really quickly. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a fight in Anchorman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I did think about. So, you know, when Sabe talks about Anakin, and they kind of go through the history of their relationship, and there's one point she talks about, like, she sees – young Anakin again in him. Yeah. I think he makes a comment. She's like, oh, okay, I can kind of see that part of him. The little boy. Yeah. It, it did make me think, how much better would the prequels be? Well, Phantom Menace, really. If instead of Anakin is eight, keep the movie almost exactly the same, but make Anakin 13. That's what I've said that for 20 years. Like, I've been saying that for 20 years. Make If Anakin was a teenage listen i was 23 when i left home i still miss my mom Mm -hmm. like you could still have the trauma of him leaving Mm -hmm. his mother behind if he's 13 (laughs) oh i think it gives him more emotional trauma if at 13 you've watched your mom a slave and he's already kind of built up that anger and you can't let it go because it's just so you know embaked in him I, i always wished in the in phantom menace i always wished that he had um that he wasn't a sweet little kid mm-hmm. that there was a little bit that he was super strong in the force, but there was an edge to him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really have that at his age. You can't really have that with Jake Lloyd. You need to be, like you're saying, you need to be older. And, and I think you're right. Uh, I said, I've been saying it forever. Like if he had just been, and it would have made, it would have made him getting into the fighter at the end. Like he wouldn't have to, Oh, it's an automatic pilot. You wouldn't have to do any of that bullshit. Right. Yeah. You Cause you can have a 13 year old who's been this awesome pilot and you can yeah. show him like kind of drop some of that anger when he gets into space for the first time. And he's like really flying and feels right. free for the first time. Like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and like it would make the fact that while I know what ages they're supposed to be, Natalie Portman is an adult in Phantom mm-hmm. Menace and Jake Lloyd is a little boy. And I think it changes the relationship from yeah. like this weird kid I met to this kind of edgy first crush that I met. Be like licorice pizza. He's 15. She's 25. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. He can be emo when he's like 12 or 13. He can't be emo when he's eight or nine. Yeah. The statutory rules are very <laughs> loose in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. yeah. I did like that scene though, where Anakin kind of sneaks in mm-hmm. to the bedroom to, I don't know, get a little nookie, I guess, and find Sabe and uh, blows the whole thing wide open. And <laughs> I do think it's funny where he's like, I can't leave because we have to be here for this certain time because of the locks and who will be around. Mind you, this is also Anakin who like sneaks onto droid starships and like <laughs> right. constantly goes on enemy planets undetected. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I can't sneak out of this apartment. But oh. I don't know how locks work. <laughs> yeah. That was the scene to me that painted the most like visceral picture of just the, the idea of the two of him just kind of busted, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and it makes sense. Like, there's no way in hell she keeps this from her handmaidens mm-hmm. in the lawn. Like, it's just it's just not possible for her to keep this from him. And 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 she 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 doesn't want to, but she feels like she has to. But there, you know, I, I would love to see a list of everyone who like knew. Like, once it's all over, like you know, because like, does Obi Wan know? Yeah. I think Clone Wars season seven made it. Uh huh. He knows. <laughs> I think the best part of the book is kind of um, close in that section where Sabe kind of admits that she loves Padme or whatever. Yeah. And they go, there's a line where it says, I always thought, you know, she would not love me, but she would love a planet or a cause, but not him. And I was like, that's well written. Yeah. Not some dumb boy, Mm -hmm. but, but something bigger. That, uh-huh. And she could live with that. Yeah, she could, yeah. She could live with. She could live with losing her to to that bigger cause. She could, you know, or or you know, or a rebellion or something like that. She could learn to live with that. But this, you know, mopey Padawan. I don't know if she's scared of him. Does I think she, she sees through his crap. Yeah, yeah. Like, she, she she thinks he's awkward and and kind of s- silly. After his initial hostility at finding her there, he he does see. She said that he kind of breaks down into the little boy that he used to be. It did remind me I'd kind of forgotten that idea that they were there too, right? That he's had kind of, that they knew him when he was a little kid. Uh-huh. Um, I had it had completely kind of slipped my mind that this is that little that Sabe had been there, obviously on the plane with them, or on the plane on the ship with them. I do hope Brotherhood goes into these like mood swings Anakin has in these books and the kind of 
she wrote it well where he like snaps into that defensive not angry but overreacting and like he's she writes him very well as being someone who has gone you know like work with kids who have ptsd and trauma and that's what it looks like where you just can't control all of a sudden those like feelings and yeah i hope clone wars tried a little bit i think to do that and hopefully brotherhood does but it would it's interesting i think uh line for them to explore is like Anakin has PTSD, like, you know, from his mother, even before she's dead, he was a slave and all that stuff. And it, it explains kind of those things really well. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I, I also thought, I thought, you know, I thought her Anakin um, was really good, especially like I said, in that, in that particular sequence, it is an interesting point about the PTSD. I guess we don't think about it in those terms. And maybe this goes towards that, like the thing that's never worked in me for prequel Anakin, and it really doesn't work honestly for cl- only except a few moments of Clone, War, Clone Wars Anakin is the anger. I still, when you get to, it's still a hard, I still have a hard time buying his turn. It just still come. I just, I still don't, I still don't buy it. The, the moment where he flipped, the moment where he sinks to his knees and pledges himself to Palpatine. I still don't feel like that's that he that he gets there, but that's just you know. Well, what I've always thought, and they've never put this in the books or the movies or anything, and I think they could explore it more. It's more that he could he left his mother, mm-hmm. and she died, and he could have been there, and then he's presented with Padme's gonna die. Yeah, don't leave this time. And that's what it really is. Like, I don't even necessarily know it's about Padme herself and more it's about he can't take another loss. Yeah, Yeah. that trauma. That his life has been built around this loss and this time he's going to stop it no matter what and kill children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's that's the turn, right? The the turn is to all the evil shit that he does immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff that like feels, still feels incongruous to me but we just have to kind of go with it well i mean after you kill a bunch of younglings what else you got to lose once he's done that once he's vader i buy vader like i i I buy the sense that he's been um painted like we said about um you know with the clone army he's he gets painted into a corner too right he he doesn't have anywhere to go once he does all this shit he does he has nowhere to go right He, he he rolled the dice on him ruling the galaxy. He rolled the dice on Padme going along with him. He rolled the dice on Obi-Wan understanding, you know, and he, 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 he came up snake eyes and, uh, and now he's stu- stuck and, and there's no going back from what he's done, mm-hmm. you know, according to him. So, so that I buy, I just, I don't know. There's still, and, and this is just what it comes down to is George Lucas's writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's a, if I had killed the sand people first, mommy would still be alive. So I'm going to be a little more proactive this time. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a real go-getter. He's he's thinking synergistically and outside Mm -hmm. of the box. Someone's spending way too much time in corporate America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have a precursor to Omega. We have another girl clone. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We did. That's right. There was a girl clone soldier. Yes. I don't understand that. I don't either. <laughs> I was hoping somebody else did. It no. was very just 
pushed in there. Mm-hmm. It just felt weird. It felt shoved in. We had a ge- another gender neutral character in this, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sasha um, got an aide. Yeah, and they went with uh, Z. Z. Yeah, which I will say from a reading perspective was easier much than easier than they. Yeah, no, I noticed that too. And I was listening to it, but I could still still tell. I, I, I'm still 100% sure everyone knows how to say it. Zay? Zay. Zay. Zay, probably. Yeah. I'm not easier 100% to read. sure. Yeah. <laughs> much, much easier to read. One other note I had, and again, towards the ending. I wish this book had ended with the Padme Save chapter. Like, that felt like the end. And yeah. then you got this whole other Anakin chapter in there that I didn't need. Like, it just felt like that Sabe, you know, them saying they weren't going to talk about anything and they were just going to lay in bed and laugh and be friends again like they used to be. Sabe deserved to leave Padme's shadow if she wanted to. The others had, in their own ways. And now it was Sabe's turn. This hurt the most. But Padme would never tell her. Sabe had dedicated years of her life to Amidala. The same years that Padme herself had given. And now, it was time to let her go. Before they separate for good. Like, that felt like a good conclusion to this book. I would agree. I also had a problem with the final chapter is Sabe and Tanra back on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yet another Star Wars story ending with Tatooine. <laughs> I was like, we don't need more. We don't need more Tatooine here at the end. We, we just don't need to go back. We know what she's going back to. We know why she's going back. I guess they wanted to show that she was ready to maybe open her heart to Tanra now that she Padme is out of reach for mm-hmm. her. Um, I think was maybe what they're trying to show that that she would finally be willing, willing to give him. A, I mean, it's implied that they've been kind of off and off on and off again. But no, they seem pretty on in this book. I thought they were on the whole time. No, I mean, like, because she misses him the entire time and they are hugging and kissing before she leaves. I guess so. I guess so. I I never got the impression they were off. In this book, at least. I thought they mentioned at the end that they were kind of on and off. Because she even says, like, she even asked for some time at the end. But And that, that when they kiss, it was like... I forget what the book says exactly, but the, the, like it, for the first time, it felt like home. I thought she was referring to Tatooine, not him. I got That's the impression. Possible. I got the impression it was just a a reuniting. That's possible. Yeah. But she just needed some time to think about things. I read it as like her and Padme were finally done, so she could commit herself to him. Like yeah. that separation was final. And so she was going to move on in, in, in a lot of different ways, like in, in her love for her, but also in her duties, you know, like she was never, it doesn't matter what Sabe was doing as long if, if she would come when Padme calls, then she was never her own person. She was never off, you know, it, it part, I, I think this book ends up being about Sabe becoming her own person mm-hmm. is, is, is maybe the mo- main emotional thrust of the entire book is, is Sabe's realization that she can't be on uh, Padme's payroll anymore. She can't be on her leash anymore because the whole idea is Sabe's off on her own mission. And as soon as Padme calls and goes, Hey, I need your help. She's there in a heartbeat. Right. And, and, and she, she realizes she can't do that anymore. She, she can't fulfill her own personal mission that she's decided to embark upon. Although Padme's the one that started her on that mission, but it's become personal to her. This mission that Anakin still doesn't know about. Hey, I'm 
got this whole racket going on on your home planet where I'm freeing all the slaves. Yeah, they never do mission it to Anakin, do they? No. <laughs> no. Hey, remember your mom, the slave? Well, I mean, the fact is, I don't think Anakin would care because, I mean, I don't know. He's probably still got buddies. Like, what's Kitster up to? Uh, I think we're about <laughs> to find out on May 27th. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to see some Kitster. Oh, I 100% think we're going to see Kitster. Kitster, maybe some Wald. It better not I be mean, Wizard. I'd like Save in that scene where Anakin sneaks in to, like, drop in, like, hey, uh, I met your stepsister. <laughs> yeah. like, wait what, what? <laughs> yeah yeah everybody it is one of those situations where people would just start talking to each other mm-hmm. they would solve a lot of things <laughs> a lot of th- problems would be solved that people just had normal conversations about stuff but because it's drama they can't i'm still thrown by the baru thing I, I am. I'm still thrown by it. It just it's it, wild. It feels like an overcorrection. Mm-hmm. Brew is docile housewife who gets killed. Let's make her a warrior for anti an anti-slavery warrior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like you could have found something in between. Now, in between is not blue milk cheese. Blue milk cheese is all the way on that on the first side. But there's something between getting fridged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And queen of the great dune sea <laughs> yeah there's there's something in between i really like the um the passage about shmi though at the beginning um the idea that th- that she didn't have much and then the universe offered her something and she accepted it mm-hmm. with anakin you know that that it kind of it it kind of you know because the only version of where anakin comes from comes from the plagius novel that's no longer canon mm-hmm. right so that's our only depiction of how Anakin came to be or why Anakin came to be. Uh, there's and, that vision he gets in the comics with Palpatine, but they've kind of gone back and forth on what they were trying to say there. Just like, I mean, it's a virgin birth. How are, I mean, there's only so many ways to explain it. <laughs> and in Star Wars, we don't have Jesus. We've got the Force. Midichlorians. We've got midichlorians. Yeah. And I agree. I think that's a character I'd like to see more of in the hands of a writer like Johnston. So... There's a shrine to Qui-Gon on Naboo. Yes. Speaking of visions, Anakin is there having visions of war and fighting and yet thinks that somehow a vision of him and Padme being Jedi and getting married and having this life that he's decided he's dreaming of is coming from Qui-Gon? Is he just... Yes, he's thank he thanks Qui-Gon for sending him this wacky vision. Oh, I see. Of his his future, but his future is basically what he wants it to be. So obviously I don't believe that Qui-Gon is sending him visions of getting married to Padme. No, but he kind of brought him together. Well, true, but at the same time Anakin is able to see in his visions all of the fighting for the Republic he's about to do and he thinks that Qui-Gon is showing him that as well. Now I don't know that Qui-Gon is anywhere involved in this vision because he's just decided that it came from Qui-Gon because he's at a shrine to Qui-Gon. Now why is there only a shrine to Qui-Gon? It's not like Qui-Gon was the only one who helped Naboo because he died. Because he died. So did a lot of people. Yeah, but he died. He's the only one that died who had a name. Okay. Everybody else was Gungan number 44. <laughs> like, even not even any of the Gungans with names died. 
And what Naboo Trooper number six? He doesn't get a statue. Gotta, <laughs> There's about to, to be a whole lot of dead Jedi that don't get no statues, though. I, I thought that was an interesting detail. I wonder if it's still there. I wonder if it's still there during the time of the Empire, or did did? Oh, I bet Palpatine tears that thing down on yeah. day one. Sheaf <laughs> tore that shit up. Yeah, that's his home planet. He doesn't want that. He's not gonna. He's not gonna put up he's, with that. That will not stand. I think Anakin puts himself in a hero role. And I think you see that in a lot of stuff and that he will, I guess, justify things or he he's, I guess, self-centered maybe is the right word. And so he, everything is through this, you know, he, we said Baruch looks at her as the breaker of chains, but I think Anakin does too. Like Anakin views himself as this person that's going to free the, galaxy and you know later it leads to vader and that he's going to help rule it with order because he can do it and so anything that happens he kind of views as a yeah this is my destiny i've been told by all these people i'm the chosen one you know everyone thinks they're the main character everyone's the main character of their own story and everyone thinks they're the main character in life he actually is the main character Mm -hmm. (laughs) he actually is the main character of the galaxy Mm -hmm. you know and he's kind of aware of it because mm-hmm. of the, the chosen one thing. He, he's aware of, of that aspect. I mean, also go back to Phantom Menace, you know, and I know it's meant to be ironic, but you know, when you meet him, he's people, you know, what's that line? No one can kill a Jedi. Mm-hmm. That he says at the table. And I know that's proven wrong with Qui-Gon, but I think Anakin still lives on that, mm-hmm. that idea that Jedi are untouchable. You know? Well, taking that stuff, like he hears in childhood and says in childhood further, you know, Qui-Gon says to him, you know, watch what I do. Like all the time, you know, or whatever. Right. And so he's in front of a statue and he sees something. Well, I yeah. told him to watch him and he'd show him. And so here right. it is. So back when we read Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril, we talked a little bit about our our thoughts on the character of Padme Amidala. Ryan was much more pro. Um, some of that is led by his heart, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, we, we talk all the time about the book's redeeming the movies or, or, you know, fleshing out the movies. So now that we've got to the end of this trilogy uh, about Padme and her handmaidens, do we think Johnson's done the character justice? And what do we think about the character now? I mean, shocking no one. I like her even more than I used to. Do I think Johnson moved her forward by leaps and bounds? Eh, you know, not necessarily. But I think it has fleshed out more the character of Padme who believes in the system and believes in people, but will still jump and go off on her own and fight outside the system if she has to. Um, And I think that's another thing that attracts her and pairs her well with Anakin is that Anakin will do the same. He just takes it a little too far. He he negotiates a little more aggressively. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel like Padme takes steps forward for me. It's, I still don't understand her relationship with Anakin. I don't know what writer can make that relationship really make sense and be believable to me. Or at least, you know, Padme's reasoning for the relationship. And and Shwek, what you say does make sense. And I, I do see that, but... I also see that it's it still just doesn't gel with me because it doesn't seem like Padme would be that person to just throw everything away for for a dude, and especially a 
weird what? crazy dude. I don't think she thinks she has to throw everything away. They want to keep she wants to try to keep both. You know, I mean, that, and, and that's where they they kind of are going to fall down. That's where they fall down, I guess. That's but where they, everybody falls down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they want to try to keep both things. You know, they think they can be. I, I think Ryan's explanation of, of it just being young love and not necessarily the right thing. You know, they, they, they can believe it in all their hearts and it does, still doesn't mean they're right. It's very Romeo and Juliet-esque in the you know, brought together when there's all this fighting and stuff going on and making poor choices, (laughs) Um, you know, thinking that this is the person I'm going to live for and all that stuff. It's just, it's hurt by his obsession though, right? It's hurt by the fact that he is obsessed with her for a decade before he sees her again. Like that's the only, that's the part, the, the problem that hurts their relationship to me is how creepy he is during attack of the clones he sees her he can't wait to see her again he's been in love with her since he was eight and he sees her again and he's instantly still in love with her that stuff just you know and we've talked about it a million times how bad the middle of that movie is but in the but in, and johnson even does mention like you said you know that, that it was in the heat of the moment she had grown to have affection for him over their trip she felt she felt you know like you said even with the tuscans like before they even got a chance to really talk about it or sorted out. They had to go run and rescue Obi-Wan. Like there hadn't been time to stop and think about anything. And I think, you know, the stupid meadow cow scene aside and that Naboo stuff, like the, them surviving Geonosis kind of pushed them together yeah. and probably elevated those feelings too. Cause he saved her and she's probably got a little bit of, oh, what's it called? It's not Stockholm syndrome when that happens, but um, you know, where you see, someone who gets saved by a firefighter or a police officer falls in love with them. I do like, have you seen the meme from attack of the clones <laughs> where it's like Padme says, we can't do this. I'm here to tell you we can't. And then it shows a picture what Padme wears and she's wearing like the leather corset and all that stuff. <laughs> to be like, We can't do this. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that. Let me, let me bear my shoulders to you. I also really like Padme because I think, out of all the characters, even Bale and Mon Mothma, Padme is the one that realizes that something is really wrong. Like Bale and Mon Mothma don't like the powers Palpatine's getting. They don't like the rise of the dictatorship. I think Padme is the only one that starts to figure out there's something rotten about this whole thing. And she's got the line and oh, is it in, I think it's in Clone Wars, where she says, what if we're on the wrong side? And she starts, like, she's the one that starts putting together that maybe we're wrong in all of this. And the separatists are right. Not necessarily the leadership or anything. Right. Or not their methods or anything like that. Yeah, that the Republic is dirty. Kind of is. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. I I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask, though, was, and this was at least my observation when we started this, was the idea that they've never been able to transcend Padme over being anything more than being Leia's mom. So what is the difference between her and Leia? How is she not just a Leia clone? That, that, that's always been my problem with her. Is she's always just been like a next generation Leia. I mean, I think the differences are pretty small. Um, and they have more to do with the era, era she's in. Is And who knows, you know, if the beginning of new hope hadn't happened and all that, but Padme stays in the system 
and tries to fight it and still kind of goes out when she has to. And Leia leaves it. Now, not through, you know, of her own choice. Um, <laughs> she kind of gets busted. Yeah. And I think Padme, one of the differences, Padme sticks to her political responsibilities, I guess, more. Or right. is more, she's more job oriented. She believes in the, She also believes in the system more. Yeah. At least the yeah. possibilities of it. But Leia's also watched it crumble. Or right. is grown is grown up in the shitty time. She's like a she's like a millennial. Mm-hmm. Like she's only grown up in the time that sucks. You mm-hmm. know, um, she didn't get the nineties. It also made me think. I always think of like, what if they had done things different? Kind of scenarios in my head. And after reading these books, I kind of wish, you know, they had and they couldn't. But if Sabe or any of them had been around during Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And they had kind of closed that loop of the trilogy that it was a handmaiden who actually died and they buried. And then like, what a cool scene it would have been at the revenge of the Sith. If you saw like, they kind of were on like a early rebellion base and kind of showed bail and panned out and you saw Padme holding Leia crying. And then that was like the end. And then they went to the everyone bringing Luke thing. That's always bothered me that Leia, she never holds Leia in the sad, even if she's a baby. Leia says in, in Jedi that she remembers a mm-hmm. little bit of her mother. That's just not possible. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not. No. It's a weird moment, too, because it's a weird moment in Jedi because Luke says, do you remember your mother, your real mother? And I'm like, I guess they've talked about this. And I guess why did they even tell her she was adopted? Did did Breha maybe tell her about Padme? Ooh. What if it, this had ended with one of these little vignette chapters of Padme recording hollows for her kids before she died? Right. And it was like her being sad and be like, look, the universe is screwed right now. I don't know <laughs> right. what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I know the world you're going to come into and then blah, blah, blah. And then end something with hope and lesson. That's just, <laughs> watch out that. for that sheave guy. <laughs> Yeah, His name is She. That should lure off tons of red flags. <laughs> I think I came out of these books. One thing that really interested me was the the vision that that Padme is a is a character and Padme is a person, but that Amidala is all of them. The, the this idea that the, and I think that's the most unique idea to come out of this is this concept of of the 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 queen and then also the senator is this fully functioning group of people that create this illusion of one person, but they're really that she really like, and, and what you're talking about with in, in revenge of the Sith about none of the handmaidens being there. It's in the same way that Ahsoka is not there for Anakin, right? Like they're, they're stripped away. It's, you know, I know people hate it, but you know, one of the reasons why Daenerys Targaryen burns down King's landing is because everyone who checks her worst impulses is gone. All the people that would whisper in her ear, don't do this that have counseled her away from her worst instincts are gone. And in revenge of the Sith, like I know all the stuff was made afterwards, but without her handmaidens there to be like, Hey, this is, this isn't right. Or this isn't working or, or watch out for him. And without Ahsoka to pull him back towards the light they when they're left alone, the, the worst happens, you know, not that they would ever do this, but we could get a, total like novel of Anakin isolating her from her friends and like <laughs> being like all the terrible like abuser things that happen. 
Well, this book does get into the, the not into that. Um, <laughs> they don't do that. But it does get into the idea of growing up and growing apart um, is a big part. Because remember, we're still talking about a YA novel that wants to, even even if it's mostly read by people like us, it's it wants to appeal to a younger audience. It wants to appeal to a teenage audience. Um, and it wants to cover those subject matters, you know, and, and, and I think it does a pretty good job of that. I mean, I found, I found the scene with Sabe emotional. Mm-hmm. I thought Johnson did a really good job writing that scene. Um, and, and I thought it was, it was pretty impactful. Listening to it was even more so, you know, um, and, and I thought, uh, she did a good job with that. I like the character more now. I'm still not sure she's solved. I think there's a lot more you can show during the Clone Wars era on her. I mean, we got her some on the show, but pretty spare. I mean, I wouldn't say she's definitely not a main character of the show. She's, you know, used sparingly. And I think she doesn't have a lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a whole lot they could do there about that separation and the relationship. And they probably totally decide to have babies because that'll help them. <laughs> we're gonna save our relationship <laughs> i don't know the look on his face when she tells him he's pregnant i don't think that was planned i don't think it was planned when when he tells her when she tells him that uh that she's pregnant his look in the movie is a little little oh shit well um, he's off at war all the time she needs something to cuddle while he's gone but i think your theory like what if we just think about it in those terms that they don't actually have a relationship they have the highlights of a relationship. They have the they have the, the sketch of a relationship. I think they have the idea of a relationship. Yeah, the idea. Of and I think yeah. it, that's probably partially what Anakin sees too. You know, like we said, of him being the hero of the galaxy and her in the same role. Like they're this yeah. idea of this galaxy couple that's going to save couple. everybody. Yeah. They need a name. What's what's the they Padakin? I don't know. What, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you combine their names like Benefer. Yeah, you're right. They're both the the idea of them together is better than the actual. Well, they, they never get a chance to find out what the real version of it's like, mm-hmm. right? Because it all goes away. So it, it feels like this flash in the pan romantic thing. But um, they never get a chance. Like they never get a chance to argue over the dishes. You know, they never get a chance to worry about the phone bill. You know, none of that. None of that stuff happens. They only get these highlights. They only get them because the moments they spend together are going to be so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I imagine they're always talking about the future. Like it's constant. What are we going to be when this is over? It's going to be so amazing. Yeah. They have built up this dream of what the galaxy is going to be and what their relationship is going to be. And they don't see that that's not going to happen. Is there also a hubris in Anakin thinking that like, if he if he is the the greatest Jedi that ever lived, then it's okay, you know that he can get away with this. Yeah, I'm the yeah. chosen one. And yeah, this is what I choose. I don't know if you heard, but uh, I'm the chosen one. <laughs> kind of a big I, deal. He's also he's only ever had one real healthy relationship in his entire life, and that was with his mother, who was probably sitting around telling him how special he was every day. So she was probably a little creepy, without meaning to be. He was a virgin birth. He is he is special. <laughs> helicopter momming around him. Yeah. I don't know. A helicopter mom. She's not too much of a helicopter mom. She lets him pod race. That's eh, true. Yeah. I mean, I bet there's a lot of resentment. He, you know, is, and uh, you, you don't see this, but I just imagine it again, because this is what I see in my clients. Like, there's a lot of resentment in that she pushed him away and sent him with the Jedi because it was what was best for him. 
but the last thing she said to him was don't look back yeah. and then he went and so you know as as much as he loves her and all that i'm sure there's a little bit of why was i so easy for you to give away yeah and so yeah. partially because of that he probably holds padme so close and is so protective of her and that's when you see those flashes of anger when she's threatened or when somebody says something bad about their relationship he didn't listen by the way he totally looked back he spends the next decade looking back it would be hilarious if he looked back and she was like doing an arm pump like yeah. i don't have to worry about that kid anymore she's, she's get back and she's making out with Klee lars <laughs> pouring, pouring, pouring some space margaritas <laughs> yeah, she's got she's got her girlfriends over. Oh, that weirdo kid is gone. They're having they're having they're having blue milk uh, white Russians. <laughs> I, honestly, you you've given me some things to think about because I don't their relationship is one of the big puzzles for me in all of Star Wars. But uh, um, I think thinking of it in a weird way, thinking of it in less romantic terms, might be the way to do it. You know, thinking of not thinking of it as this grand romance but thinking of it more like you're talking about might be the way to rectify it some just on another note it still throws me off that captain panaka is a bad guy <laughs> i don't know why that bothers me so much but every time old captain pancakes is a bad guy and they're like, <laughs> did you did you come out of phantom menace dying for your captain panaka figure well here's what no. i think it was where's rick Lee? that's what i wait rick <laughs> back way back when me and pete had a duplex after uh, episode one, we had a poster on our wall from the video game of Phantom Menace. And this is where our love of Plukoon started because he's on the uh, poster. And so we would put little speech bubbles up and we had a whole voice for Plukoon where Plukoon had to get all the sandwiches for the Jedi. <laughs> and it's only, but Captain Panaka was on there too. And so we always called him Captain Pancakes. <laughs> we talk about Captain Pancakes and all the good things he would do. And so, like, now that he's a bad guy and he became a moth later, I'm like, oh, Captain oh, Pancakes. He jacked up your head cannon. Mm-hmm. The Plukun was the best, though, because we were like, oh, Plukun does not get sandwiches. Plukun is Jedi, too. <laughs> I feel like I remember some of this. We used to say it all the time. <laughs> Anytime we watch it, we were, they'd be like in the Jedi Council, and we'd be like, hey, uh, Plukun, can you go get the coffee? <laughs> Plukun is not coffee girl. Plukun is Jedi with lightsaber. <laughs> so uh, we like these books? I mean, I, of course, liked him, uh, yeah. you know, because I get to read about my girlfriend. And yeah. as I'm reading, I can just shut the book for a little while, look lovingly. At the cover? <laughs> at the cover. I'm like, oh, hi. At the likeness of Natalie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like them for, again, they, they help the character of Padme some. I think that the Handmaidens are great characters, though, and, and I like these books for their characters. I think I liked Queen's Peril the best. I think that was my favorite one, the one that that had the that took that took place at the same time as the Phantom Menace. Um, that had the the labor camps and all that stuff. The little and, girl torture. Yeah, that told well. That told the story of the Phantom Menace from a different point of view. Um, I think I really enjoyed that one the best. I'm curious what they're going to do with Sabe. You know, she's in the comics right now. And- yeah. Yeah, they've made a point of bringing her into the comics. I don't know how much communication there is between. 
I mean, I know there is, you know, and, and Steven was talking about on the show, how everything seems that, you know, even from his point of view as an artist that everything is linked. Yeah. E.K. Johnson in the uh, acknowledgments in the back of this one talks about the story group and yeah. their involvement in it. Um, I mean, they're going to have to kill Sabe. Like she's going to die in that comic. She has to die, but probably, yeah. Or else, yeah, I don't know what else you do with her. Yeah. She knows the secret. You're making fun of me again. She said, I thought you were too scared to make fun of a senator. Not when the senator is my wife, he said. He pulled her into his lap. Then, all bets are off. I like that word, she said softly. Husband. Wife. I say them as often as I can, he confessed. Even when I'm by myself at the temple. This time, her lips lingered on his, pressing lightly but surely against him as she breathed him in. His hands trailed up her back to tangle in her hair. He would never give this up. He could never. They sat, staring out at the city lights of Coruscant, until the faint pink light of dawn touched the horizon, driving back the dark. So, Beth, what are we going to talk about next time? Next time, we're going to wrap up yet another trilogy with Last Command by Timothy Zahn. Um, have you guys read it yet again? Yes. I have not started rereading yet. Yeah, I'm about I'm about 50 pages in. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we will talk to you all soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.